We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? Welcome in to our ninth year of the Gator Nation Football Podcast. Let's go. We are so happy to have you. I'm your host, James, alongside here with Alan. And Alan, it's here. Football, Football season for the Florida Gators is here. It has been a long off season, but we made it. You made it. It is go time. How are we feeling? I love this time of year. Our friend Grover said this is the best time of the year because everybody starts drinking the Kool-Aid, buying into the hype. Everybody on the depth chart is great. There's no problems yet. It's a really fun time. And then, you know, reality starts to set in for a lot of teams. But, yeah, it's like you can dream right now. Dream big. You can dream any narrative you want. Uh, and we've seen this on the various threads or you can, you can you know, talk about it with your friends. All of us have friends who think Graham Mertz is going to become the second coming of, of Joe Burrow. And you know what? He might. And he could be because it's the offseason. Or he's going to become, you know, Treon Harris. And it, he could be because it's the offseason, right? But oh, man. The questions will be answered. Don't, don't invoke that name anymore, please. Of course, we can. you always have to find a reason to bring Treon up as much as possible. But as always, if you like the content on this podcast, you can follow us on social media. You can sub to our YouTube channel for film reviews. And you can become a patron on Patreon. Shout out to Carly, the commissioner, who will be back on her official duties next week, editing some video, and then B-Red as well, who will be back next week doing some producing. We have merch. A lot of you have seen this now, and you've been consistently picking up some merch. If you haven't yet, check out the merch store for the GNFP. we got all kinds of good stuff saw, out there. I saw Justin live in the Justin T this week. The Justin T was was here in Gainesville being, uh, being sported for sure. So go check that out. It's on every link in your podcast app, wherever you're listening. You can just click that and check it out. Let us know if there's something there you don't see and you want it, and we'll see if we can craft it for you. Uh, we want to welcome a few See a level up here in a new donor uh, and Joshua Chilcote, a new large dono. He had said that he had been listening for a long time, but the guilt got the best of him. Uh, he's just kidding. Of <laughs> no course. guilt, no guilt, but no welcome guilt. aboard. Yeah, totally just kidding. But he's in there in a large dono. And then as we get each fall, Kevin Conroy Scott from overseas in London. Yeah. Uh, the illustrious author himself dropping a hundo bomb upon us. So I always imagine him living the high life wherever he is, you know, 
with a name like that, you certainly are famous and, you know, just living it up in London. You must be. Yeah. And yes. I think he was even posting in the Sammy thread recently. He was somewhere else. And he's like, oh, my, I'm at the beach in Spain and, or Ibiza or wherever is. I am. Yeah. Uh-huh. Told you. And then still on the throne, Cooper and Kylie Craig, who are about to get their medal of the kingdom tested, so to speak. Medal being M-E-T-T-L-E. With a game, an actual game. Yeah. It's great to be the off-season king and queen because, like, what does it matter? Nothing can go wrong, right? Not really. But now we'll see what their win-loss record will be at the helm. If you want to dethrone them, you can. Just drop a dono that's larger than theirs. Unfortunately, I can't tell you what they're giving. Mm. That'll be up to you. All right, Alan, hit us up with the dono do legends. we got James Ridge, Barry Jenkins, Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Jason Walker, the big homie, little Peyton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Michael Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, Craig Scarado, Alan Horn, Sidney Singleton, and Kristen Moody. What a long and illustrious list that is. Let's talk about Utah. Let's talk about football season. Let's go. All right. Last year we talked about, is this the biggest opener, like home opener in Florida history? You know, felt like maybe yes, the answer to that. Um, Obviously, we're on the road this year. And this is an important game. It's maybe not the most important game, but how big a win would this be for the program moving forward? Well, I love this question because if you look back, in history to last year, how big of a win would that have been? You know, it still feels good to me, that win last year. It was fun. It didn't matter, really. And that's what we talked about at the time. And the same thing will probably be true with this one. We're still at our our rebuilding period, right? We talked a lot about different metaphors last week. I'll spare you those. But we're still at this rebuild period where really what happens with this game is not going to determine what happens with our rebuild. Now, what happens with multiple games can do that. Yeah. But this one individual game, anything could happen. And it, we may look back on it and think it just didn't matter. But this would be a really big win in the moment. Because I do think as Florida Gator fans now, we're riding a little bit of a of a high uh, when it comes to momentum. Momentum is swinging upwards right now for Florida. Recruiting class trending upwards. Netflix special to people are kind oh, of reliving nostalgia. We'll talk about that later on in the show. So there's, there's some good vibes right now here on campus in Gainesville and I think across the country for Gators fans. And so obviously, if you get this win, Alan, you begin to think, hey, maybe this is a year where we don't have to be at five or six wins. Maybe this team can be better than it could be. But most importantly, if the style is right, maybe we have a coach who two or three years from now or maybe even sooner is going to bring us back to annual competition at the highest level. And that would mean this game could be a launching point of the rebuild. So it could be huge. It could mean nothing. But I'll tell you this for me, Alan. The win would be super enjoyable to beat Utah twice in a row. Uh, and just a really great way to start a season. Because like you mentioned, losses magnify your mistakes. And wins tend to minimize them. And you feel good. So let's let's feel as good as possible come late Thursday night, early Friday morning. I think it's I think that's a great point. I wins are going to be coming at a premium this year. So if you have a chance to steal one or or pick one up, that's going to be big in the cumulative nature of this. Now, I would I rather have different games if I had to pick. Would I rather beat Florida State or Utah? Florida State. Would I rather beat Kentucky or Utah? I'm going to pick Kentucky. There's a lot of games like that on the schedule where I would 
if you gave me the choice, it's going to be one of these two. I would probably pick the other one. But a win is a win is a win, and especially in a game like this that might set the tone. So last year, did it set the tone? No. You pick up that big win, and then you lay an egg the next week. So (laughs) these are college football players. There's not always a carryover, but a win won't hurt, that's for sure. Okay, do you like this on a Thursday night? I know you were like a little ambivalent about it when they announced it. I like it as a road game more than a home game. If it's a home game, I would be disappointed because Thursday night home games are just not, to me, they're not the same. You lose a lot of that, I think, pomp and circumstance of the weekend. A lot of people can't make it. It's tough. They drive in at a place like Florida with a stadium as big as we have. But as a road game, national TV, Kurt Herbstreet broadcasting the game, all eyes on you. It does give your program and your team a chance to launch itself into people's minds, into recruits' minds, into casual fans' minds, because it might be one of the few Florida games they watch if they're just the national television audience. And if they look good and things seem good, it's amazing how long that will go towards a uh, neutral person thinking, oh, Florida seems to be on the upswing, or vice versa. So I like it for that reason. Um I think. And also, you know, it does make Saturday great. Unfortunately, there's not an amazing college football slate of games this weekend. If there was, then you get the whole slate to yourself, so to speak. But uh, again, road game, I'm much more favorable for it. Home game, I would I would not like it at all. Yeah, I don't I don't mind it um, as a one off kind of thing. I don't think I'd necessarily want to do it every year, but it's fun. You are getting all the national attention. It's the it's one of the best games of the weekend, period. And on that Thursday night, it's really the. You know, you had Notre Dame, uh, Navy last weekend in Ireland, but this is really the first game of week one that anyone's really paying attention to. So all eyes are going to be on Florida, Utah. And that is that is kind of fun. Um, and uh, we're not dodging hurricanes down here if it was a home game. Like we'll talk about it. Maybe yeah, we're later, just going to dodge them as we're here watching. Yeah. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not like the cancellation you no. know, question. I was like, oh, they're going to play the, the game. Worst. Yeah, I hate that. Are you feeling confident at all? In various aspects. Okay. I feel irrationally exuberant and confident in Coach Ham because I have one okay. piece of data from the spring game. I was high on him when they hired him based upon several things we'd already talked about. And I'm just hyped for him. I really want to see what happens in large part because last year was such a colossal disappointment for me when it came to tactics in game and overall strategy for the defense that I'm I want to peel off this the sticker off this brand new toy I have and see right. how this strategist here coach Ham handles the challenge in front of him with Utah and so I'm amped for that I'm I'm quietly confident no I'm not even, I'm, I'm like loudly confident that I think he's going to answer the bell and do a much better job than Florida did last year defensively and if that happens Allen this football team can can get to, like we said, seven or eight wins. And so I feel confident that the defense will be improved this season. The offense is still a major question mark for me because it was a major question mark to end last season. Who are we? What is our passing game style like? We can't blame it on AR anymore. So I'm really curious to see what happens if we struggle. What happens then? Do people come out and say that now it's Mertz's fault? We need a third quarterback. So I'm looking forward to finding out the identity of Florida's offense. And I guess what I'm saying is I think I already have an idea of what the identity of Florida's defense is going to be like. And that gets me excited. The offense, I could be excited if things turn in a direction I like. And I could be really disappointed and sad if they don't. As far as win-loss goes, 
I'm sitting right on the fence for confidence. Uh, I can find ways Florida could win this game potentially easily. And I can find ways where Florida can lose this game uh, potentially easily as well. So I, I can't say, you know, I feel, oh, we're going on the road and getting a win. No, I feel zero confidence, but I also feel hopeful. I'm excited to see the team play. You know, I think I'll, if the team plays really well and it's a weird kind of loss and you have, you know, someone muffs a punt or, you know, there's some there's some close calls and then, ah, oh man, they were right in there and they played really well. I think everyone would be happy about that, you know. And so it's not necessarily just a either or because, again, this season is about building, but a win would be great. And I like that. I'm hopeful. Now, the big questions around Utah, right? So the the big variable that no one knows is is Cam Rising going to play, and secondarily is Brent Cuthy, their you know kind of star tight end. They lost Dalton Kincaid in the draft. Cuthy lit it up last year at times as well as a very talented guy. But does Cam Rising play? Because they lost their backup quarterback a few weeks ago, their third string guy, and probably their fourth string guy will play if Rising doesn't play. But as of right now, so it's Monday at. I don't know, three o'clock ish. We don't know. And they're being super tight lipped about it. You know, Kyle Winningham, the coach is like, what's the cutoff for determining? He's like, I don't know, 10 minutes before kickoff. (laughs) That leads me to believe that they don't really know or at best, or he's not playing and they just don't want to say that, which is, you know, coaches MO these days. I don't know. Are you. Are you reading the tea leaves at all? What are you thinking about this rising situation? Well, I think that if he wasn't going to play, you'd certainly want to do what what Coach Whittingham is doing, which is not let your opponent know he's not going to play because you do have to prepare your team for a variety of quarterback options. Mm-hmm. Like and, basically three guys you got to prepare Right. For. And in the NFL, you'll see this when, when backup quarterbacks come in that teams haven't prepared for, and they'll do pretty well for a half if they have a half. And that's largely because quarterbacks have different styles. In college, it's magnified even more because these are college guys, and you know they can't quite as easily flex between different defensive styles if you need to. So it's important to prepare them for what you may see. It's really hard to prepare Florida for any of Utah's backups because they're largely filmless there's some backup mop-up duty um we'll talk about the quarterback for them that had started a game so there's some film on him he's most likely the guy to go if, if rising can't go but to me rising is going to be about nine months out of his acl surgery now some guys come back in four and a half months some guys come back in a year right it depends it's highly individual to me it feels like he is he is going to try to play this game is what i think is going to happen unless they literally say you can't play and that's where I look at it medically and think if he couldn't play, they would already know that, right? Uh, he, he's not passing PT test. He's not passing. Well, they haven't cleared him yet. Correct. That's what I mean. So that's what I'm getting at. So the fact that he's not medically cleared tells you something. It tells you that he might be saying, I'm fine. I can do these things. But the medical team has reason to believe he's not passing the benchmark test they have. So that may not be in his hands. Also, Kuthi is injured and he is up in the air status wise. And then complicating matters Alan. on friday utah released a two deep depth chart yeah sort of just dumped <laughs> it out there into the world that has rising and kuthi starting so no one can know it's very mysterious and i i think we're not really going to know until the end and again certainly not certainly not in enough time for florida to be able to pair for one or the other i don't think they want to give florida that boost i think they want as many questions lingering as possible 
uh, in the players' minds and the coaches' minds, distracting them from just what the mission may be. Uh, but make no mistake about it. Vegas right now has Florida at a six and a half point dog. It was 11 at the highest. It's largely been around seven. So Vegas seems to be pricing in rising playing at this point. That's the expectation. Watch the line in the coming days. As the betters often have information, they'll start kind of moving on. And if it starts to move down some to four and a half and before, I think the expectation would be perhaps he's not playing, but it's going to make a significant difference right. in this game because their talented freshman also got hurt, as you mentioned. And this the guy that they're going to play in the backup, again, we'll talk about him. This is not a guy who has any bona fide, even really talent on paper, right? Not a recruited guy really out of high school. Mop-up guy who hands the ball off a lot. Having to enter into this kind of game against a team in Florida, Allen, that is more talented than Utah. On defense, he's going to face players that are more talented than Utah's players. That is a major ask. And if both Rising and Kuthi are out, that's that's like 70% of their offensive production. So that's a huge, huge storyline for this football game. All right, you ready for a completely unsubstantiated rumor? I can't wait for this. I love rumors about player status. So I talked to my friend, uh, Trip, who's a college football nut, who actually lives in Salt Lake City and works on the university campus. And he's, I said, well, what are the vibes of the rumors going on right now? And he said, it's very tight lip. There's not a lot out there, but the vibe on campus is that he's not going to play. And the rumor, so there's the vibes. The rumor is that they might hold him for the first three games. Right? They're, they're starting with Florida, Baylor, and then Weber State, that they could go three games before they open their Pac-12 schedule and that they would save him for that. That that ultimately would be their, you know, if they're going to, Focus on anything that's going to be winning the Pac-12 again. So there you go. That's the rumor from Salt Lake. No sources at all. Those are vibes and rumors. Do with it what you want. Don't quote me on it, but <laughs> there it is on the pod. I have no idea. That, that would be big for Florida. There's yep. no way to understate that. that. That would be huge if Florida so much so that I'm, rising. It's going to be hard to pick this game when we do it. Because I feel like I want to make one rising pick and one not. I think I think pick. that's what we do. Okay. I think we make a Cam plays the whole game and Cam doesn't play at all. Pick. Okay, let's do that. All right, we, there were some games in Week Zero. James, you want to tell us about them? I do. Navy went on the road in Ireland to play Notre Dame, and the luck of the Irish was way too strong. Yeah. In fact, Notre Dame might want to play all their games in Ireland. They beat a team that a lot of people fancy in Navy. A lot of returning production, a lot of starters. Back, uh, they drubbed them forty-two to three, easily covering that twenty-point spread. You wisely picked Notre Dame. I mean, you got to pick the Irish in Ireland. That's you just one of my you clauses, to. and um, you did it. And they looked good. And of course, as the early season, no football games have happened. Reports will do. There's a lot of media articles about Notre Dame. Right. So good, totally. If you win in and week zero, they did. But again, when you got five or six games on and you win in Notre Dame, you got to talk about something. So they did look good, though. So good, good win for them out of the Sam game. Hartman. The transfer from Wake Forest looked really nice. And that's the big deal, right? Yeah. Is he he is a very solid quarterback. Um, you know, there were some questions about why Florida didn't even really try to pursue him at all, and perhaps that wasn't even an option. Yeah, it seemed like he was that was like when the season ended, people were like, going. I hear Sam Hartman to Notre Dame. So like that was a done and deal. And that's where it probably was a done deal. But either way, big pickup there in the transfer market. Nice win by Notre Dame. Right. UMass mm. on the road in New Mexico State. And UMass gets an outright dub as an eight-point dog, 41-30. I had that one. You I don't know how you had that one, but they looked really good. UMass is usually even more of a doormat than New Mexico State at times. And 
this is a you know pretty fun game. If you watch it, I did not, but yeah, people were enjoying it. It did feature New Mexico State's quarterback throwing a pass with his helmet spun all the way around to where you Google couldn't even that see. He just threw it, it, but you need to take a look at that. It's pretty great. All right, so we're one and one at this point. Uh, Ohio on the road against San Diego State. San Diego State a three and a half point favorite. It was a close game. You and I both had San Diego State, and they took care of business twenty to thirteen. Good job by them. FIU on the road against Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech, 10-point favorites. They do win 22-17, but you get the losing cover from FIU. You get the points there. I love uh, it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, FIU for the win in the cover, not the actual win. So you are 3-1 and one at this point in time. <laughs> yeah, feeling hot. Pretty solid with the points. All right, Hawaii at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt favored by 16.5. We both talked about how Vanderbilt just clapped Hawaii last year. Hawaii answered back. This game, close until the end. Vanderbilt does win 35-28. Hawaii, though, gets inside the points. You and I both had Vanderbilt, so we both take a loss on that one. Yeah, you know, I, I think Vanderbilt will take the win, but if you're Hawaii, you got to be pleased with that. Yeah, that's it's progress. And again, if you're Clark Lee, you take any win at Vanderbilt. Yep. I mean, you just take it. It's Hawaii is still the real team. You got to beat them. All right, San Jose State played a feisty match. Feisty, Close feisty. at halftime, moving the ball all over USC, supposedly, hopefully improved defense. USC was favored by 30. You and I both took that foolishly. USC, well, they were close. They almost got it at the end, right? Yeah, yeah it's fifty-six to twenty-eight. I mean, yeah. they were two points away after playing a close game. After playing a close game, which was kind of magical, but that defense, I think, is is the concern. And of course, most people are discussing that. All right, so that means you. Went- so that was one of those games where they still almost covered, despite the fact if you were to bet on San Jose State, it feels like you would have been right the like, entire game until yeah, the until end. You almost end. lost. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, you went three and three, which is great when we have zero information on any of these teams. I'll take it. And then I went two and four, which is bad but not horrible. Again, we're just you know, flipping coins there. The early coaching corner. I love that we have a coaching corner to start the season. This is great. Thank you, Victor Redman, for submitting this. And this does have to do with the Vandy Hawaii game. So Vandy does have a twenty-eight to fourteen lead <sighs> at this point in time. We are late in the third quarter with three minutes left and. It's fourth and six for Hawaii at the Vandy 13. So fourth and six inside the Vandy red zone. Hawaii elects to go for it on fourth down. They do not get it. So Victor wants to ask about the rule of scores here. He says, I know the rule of scores says being down 14 that you need to go for a touchdown here because a field goal still keeps you two scores away. That is correct, Victor. Well done. But he's wondering, is it worth it at this stage of the game to try an exploitative strategy? Love that that's what you're throwing in there. So exploitative not being the one you'd normally use, but perhaps in this case you should, to kick a field goal and give your team some momentum and a confidence boost as you head into the fourth quarter, especially since Hawaii had not scored since the early second quarter. Vandy goes on to score a touchdown on the ensuing drive, going up by three scores, and then Hawaii makes the comeback. Your thoughts here on whether there's merit to kick a field goal here or he should always, you know, if you're if you're why you should always go for that fourth and six. Well, I guess the question is like, you know, you don't always abide by the rule of scores. You know, it's in the first quarter. You don't care. You're like you would think about momentum and confidence and all those types of things late in the game. You just have to almost strictly abide by it. So, you know, in the third quarter, I, I don't know where that falls into it, but I would I don't hate kicking a field goal there. Yeah, I'm going to say there's a couple scenarios here that, that matter. One, Alan's right. Every time we talk about the rule of scores and we talk about it definitively, it's generally with 10 or 11 or so minutes left in the fourth quarter. 
and this situation occurs and you know you have maybe two possessions max left. And right, you have to do will, the math on how many times you have the ball. Correct. And then you're like, well, you've just doomed yourself even if the team just run, 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 punt, you know, two or three times. So in this case, you can certainly kick a field goal here and it can be totally fine. And what you'd want to hear a coach say is why they did it. And the answers would be as follows for me. One, on fourth and six or longer, we had not had any success, didn't have a play we liked, were unable to hook up with our quarterback slash receiver slash tight end, whatever. We just didn't have a play call we felt good about in that area of the field. Vanderbilt had been getting pressure, etc. Some reason why you felt like fourth and six, which is hard to get anyway, was even harder to get. Therefore, take the points and build momentum. That's the most important thing. Secondarily, the flip side could also be true. Perhaps your defense feels like it's gaining confidence versus Hawaii and what they're doing. Uh, but you're not necessarily wanting to bet the whole game on that fourth and six. So you're going to say, all right, let's keep momentum right where it is. We're on the road. We'll go ahead and keep the field goal, get a stop. And then next drive, we can kick another field goal and be within one score if we have to. But I think all things being considered with this scenario, um, you still look at the final score of the game with Vanderbilt winning 35-28. Had Hawaii kicked a field goal, they still need one more possession that they ultimately didn't get to be able to win that game. So you are starting to race. To me, you can go either way here. But again, the coach better have something better than just I felt it or whatever the case was. It should come down to how likely you think it is to get that fourth and six. If the same scenario happens with 10 minutes left, you got to go for it. Even if you feel like it's not right. likely to get that fourth and six, you don't have time for that to work. But great question. Great start there to open the season. I love um, the explosive strategy drop. Yeah, I love that early drop. That's fantastic. All right. As we promised, we will now begin the portion of our show where each and every week we read off a list of those who have dropped donos for us, starting with the first original donor and patron, Alan. You can tell us who that well, is, and then you can go through them. The legend the himself, Tyler Rummery. Let's get him out there. Andrew Amend, Brian Bill, Jeffrey Shaw, Jason Tice, Seth Rode, Jason Landry, Brad Cluxton, Alpheus Stoltzfus, which is always a fantastic one. Micah Pounders, the father himself, Doug DiVirgilio. The father himself, I love it. John Montague, Chris Perales, Bert L. Bill, Lon Stafford, James D. Is that you? you it's, not, it's not me, but I love okay. it. There's a James D. Yeah. Benjamin Wiseman, Caleb Bachelor, Adam McGeed, Brian Sumner, Matthew, Josh Judy, Stat Boy himself. That's right. Stat Man, Chancey <laughs> Bohannon. Richard Fueo, Diego Rivera, Jason Lamore, Nate Baum, Matthew Brigman, Andrew Axum, Tyler Pierce, Josh Hostetler. What up, Haas? Yo. Yep, we've got a, a pseudo name here, which we read out every year because it's yeah. fun. But uh, Chi K Clapper. So Chi Clapper. There you go. Welcome. <laughs> Matthew Fry, Sam Weinmiller, Joshua Kimball, Liam White, Sam Haggerty, Jeff Levin, Neil DeGrassi, Tyson's Unwatched Masterclass. <laughs> I don't remember that. This one, is but. back in August of 2017. So <coughs> you know, the early the early patrons were really here. creative uh, for sure. Ian McFetridge, Stephen Bentfelt, Robert Wolf, Joe Whitehead, Mike Davis, in our F fantasy league, long time friend, league, draft next week. Adam Ridenour, yeah, what's up, dude? Brett Arrington, Gary Zitlin, Mike Brunge, and then Craig Anderson, who's still. A supporter. So Let's go. a lot of these, a lot of these guys here have been supporting from 2017 to the start. And a lot more of you as we read through uh, will as well. So I know every year we get messages about halfway through the year that says, I've been a patron or I was a patron. My name has not been read yet. We're going in chronological order. Thankfully, we have almost 700 people 
that have supported the show at some point or another. That's great. Which we are honored by, humbled by, and very thankful for, which is why we do this every single year, to let you guys know that we're thankful for all of our listeners, whether you give a dono or not. Uh, but we want to honor each and, each and every one of you every year and let you know that we feel the love and we hope you do too as well. All right, with that, let's enter into live read early on in the pod this, this week because we're going to just load up everything else after this. So why not take care of business now? AG1, as we mentioned last week, is a daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. Uh, we gave AG1 a try because essentially they sponsored our podcast. Uh, it is not a green drink. I think one thing I learned when working with their their team is that AG1 really is a one-stop shop for nutrition. They basically take a host of things, including a green drink, but they also mix in several other things that you have to take through multiple supplements, typically five or six different supplements to get this. Put it all in one kind of protein powder-like package. You put a little teaspoon in there, a tablespoon, stir it up in the morning, you're good to go. I drink mine before breakfast. Uh, it's simple to give your body what it needs to start the day optimally. Uh, Alan's wife, of course, I think does something similar. She's, yeah, she's commandeered still, Alan's stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm not getting the benefits of it because I'm allowing my wife to fortify her body with this. That's being a great yeah. sacrificial husband. Yeah, she loves it. Yeah, so, so if you're looking you for a one-stop daily comprehensive solution and routine, AG1 is definitely worth giving a try. You can get a free one-year supply of both vitamin D and five free AG1 travel picks with packs with your first purchase. You just go to drinkag1.com slash GNFP. That's drinkag1.com slash GNFP. Check it out there. And that link is always on our description. So if you didn't write that down or didn't put that in your cell phone, don't worry. Just click the link by looking on the show notes. There you go. And sorry for the lingering cough, everybody. But uh, if he was drinking his AG1, he probably man, wouldn't have that. Probably, so write to true. Alan and tell him to drink AG1. <laughs> All right, let's talk about football coach College Dynasty. This is a game developed by a Florida grad and a GNFP listener. And I'll use your word, donor. I love it. Get into it, Alan. <laughs> football coach College Dynasty is the ultimate college football management game for PC with a 97% positive rating on Steam. Be a coach, create game plans, call plays, recruit players, develop your team, compete for championships. Everything you love about college football, including conference realignment, boosters, official visits, transfer portal, even NIL. You get to navigate all of that. So it's available on Steam for eleven ninety nine. Start the season today. Yeah, one of our friends is a scout, uh, and he checked it out, and he loved it. He's like, man, this cool. game is amazing looking. And I said, yeah, I'll put you in touch with the guy who created it if you want. Uh, so good early feedback there from the GNFP listener base. And with that, we have made it. It's time to dive into the Utah prep. I can't wait for this, Alan, because, you know, really the off season, I just feel like I survive it because I, I need data. I want to analyze things. I want to create strategies and tactics. And really, I need to get to next week when I have film and I have actual concrete evidence rather than last season stats and sort of projections. But this is the stuff we live for on this podcast, really diving into the football, breaking down the X's and O's, looking at the strategies and tactics that could win. If you're new to the pod, welcome in for this portion. Uh, it's something we love doing the most. All right, so the game does take place this Thursday night at 8 p.m. 8 p.m., number 14 Utah at home, favored by 6.5 versus our Florida Gators. 6.5, it was as high as 11. 6.5's been about as low as it's been, but it kind of opened, I think, right around 7. So that's been the moving on the line. Let's talk a little bit, Alan, about last year first, because when you play these sort of 
home and home um, non-conference games, you don't play each other very often at all. So they sort of become their own little two-part yeah, mini-series where the first year heavily influences the second year. Most famously, we talked a lot about the Pitt-Tennessee matchup last year and how Pitt learned so much from year one to year two versus Heupel's offense. And they had the entire offseason to prep for it. Did a really good job against Tennessee in their opener. We can expect the same thing from both of these teams. We can especially expect it from Utah. Right. Because they lost and they're playing at home. And they do not want to lose twice to Florida. A team that did not finish well last year and may not finish well this year. That's not something they want to have on their resume. It's been lingering. A quick recap of last year, Alan. The keys to the game, in reality... You nailed very nicely, and so did I, which was rushing the football. We felt like we had a big advantage with our front seven. We knocked it out of the park. We averaged seven and a half yards per carry and rushed for 284 yards. So we were able to dominate up front, which largely covered up the fact that we could not really pass the football very effectively. We didn't even really try to challenge them in that opening game passing the football, and we escaped with a win because we had two goal line stands. Right. Two goal line stands. So that was the, the game recap. finishes with Amari Bernie picking off Cam Rising on the goal line, essentially. Yes. And so the prediction was interesting, you know, a little higher than you thought. I picked 28 31. Utah ended up being 29 26. So we we're roughly in the right range, just flipped who actually won the game. Yeah. We both picked Utah. Shame on us for that one. Of course, you know, those two red zone goal line areas could have been. The decider, we did say on the prep podcast last year that the struggle Cam Rising had entering into last year was actually his goal line offense. His goal line passing was the weakest part of his game. He cleaned that up this past season. In fact, his goal line efficiency passing after the Florida game was really good. So he really figured out what happened there. He hit the film room and iced out those issues. But let's talk a little bit more here before we get into this season about what Utah did first and foremost, against Florida's defense. Because although Florida's defense, you know, again, kind of gets away with the win here, uh, we had some issues with Utah, and they did some surprising things. So Utah ran a lot of 13 personnel. At times, it wasn't technically 13 personnel. They'd bring in another offensive lineman, or they'd bring in a wide receiver to fill the role of a tight end. But make no mistake about it, it was basically 13 personnel. They also ran a lot more no huddle than they typically ran, and that gave Florida all kinds of issues. And again, Florida escaped with the win, but that was a very tactical move by Utah to do something they typically don't do out of character. Florida, of course, will be, I think, ready for 13 personnel or something like it this year in the event that Utah feels like there's a need to get there. So I think that was my big takeaway with Utah's offense versus us. Secondarily, our defense, of course, was sloppy in that game. We talked about entering into that game, Alan. The same thing we're going to talk about today. You had to cover. You had to cover their tight ends. We didn't do it. Nope. We didn't care to do it. They ran all over us. They destroyed us. It didn't matter. It's like we hadn't even watched film on them or cared to see who they targeted. So that was frustrating. We said that the wide receivers are not that challenging. The tight ends are brutal. And that's exactly what it happened. Tight ends ran wild. It's like we didn't watch any film or know anything. So that was extremely frustrating. We'll see what Coach Ham can do. If it's the first time you're hearing Coach Ham, by the way, obviously Austin Armstrong is Florida's defensive coordinator. However, we think he looks a heck of a lot. Well, especially like you. Ham. Especially me, I'll own it. I think he looks a heck of a lot like Ham from Sandlot. And also, he's got the same Ham energy. Ham energy? <laughs> I don't know. But either way, he's got it. 
He's got it, man. He's got swag and confidence, sort of the leader out there in the sandlot. I love it. So feel free to call him Coach Ham. So we'll see if he can help basically face this challenge. And then on offense, again, a new challenge for Billy. I think Billy has to expect Utah's defense, which we're going to preview here in a second, to be ready for the way Florida beat them last year and not to lose again in the same way, shape, or form. Well, it's, it's interesting because last year they had you know, some tape on AR. They knew dynamite athlete who's going to do some stuff we have to prepare. But in comparison, they have infinite tape on Graham Mertz. Now, it's Graham Mertz games on at this. Wisconsin, not Florida, but they also played for last year. And you can kind of meld those two together and, and at least get an idea of what might happen. You can get a very good idea, I think, between Billy's very, like we said, very static offensive strategy that existed at Louisiana, Mertz's skill set. I think they kind of know what Florida wants to do. Now, it doesn't mean that they can stop it, especially Correct. with these running backs putting a lot of pressure on them, but they're going to know a lot more, I think, than we know considering Utah's quarterback position. Potentially. Again, Utah also kind of like the opposite Billy Napier. Super blueprinty team that runs the same stuff every year. That's why this is fun. It's why we wanted to set the stage this way is these are two teams that are very similar but different. You know, I think that if you look at Kyle Whittingham's job there, it's 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 similar to what Billy wants to do. Heavy culture-based, right? Uh, consistent offense. He wants to have a great offensive line, which he has almost every single year. He wants to have a really good defensive line. And then they, I think what Billy would like to get to is they have excellent tight ends every year. They recruit well above their pay grade at the tight end spot uh, as they do with offensive linemen. And so I think Billy would like to be on that same track. And they also run the ball and pass the ball about the same rate. So sort of, <laughs> they sort also service a lot of defensive linemen too. That's correct. Yeah. So sort of a lot of cousins in regards to the offense, different, different attack choices. We'll talk about specifically that Billy loves to throw bombs and, and Kyle does not Utah's offense is not a deep throwing offense. Whereas again, Billy's is for sure. So there's big differences there. All right. Walk us through the overview on Utah and then we'll dive into the, what this season's edition of Utah versus Florida might be like. All right. We talked about him, Kyle Whittingham, Urban Meyer's successor at Utah is still there. Is 19th season. Unbelievable yeah. in the era of college football. Kind of wild. And they've been great. Honestly, every time they've had to make a transition, they've done it. They've won the Pac-12 two years in a row. They're a really impressive program, especially considering where they are located in the country. And, you know, they're doing more with less. A lot of times they have 24 stars on their roster. Florida has 43 plus a five-star. So significant talent advantage, Florida. Now, again, that doesn't mean Florida's going to win, obviously. But if you're just looking at the raw talent, you have to think about that for Florida. Returning starters, though, significant advantage Utah. So they've got 13, six on offense, seven on defense. That's really great for them. So they're number 16 in returning production. So it's 76% of their production on offense. No, excuse me, 76 overall, 83 on offense, 69 on defense in terms of percentage. Florida, nine, five on offense, four on defense. So that's the second least returning starters in the SEC. And they're Florida's 107th in pr- returning production, which so, is interesting because last yeah. year Utah's numbers were were similar. They had also returned a lot of production. It kind of flipped a little bit with offense, defense, and Florida was almost the same. So you see, when people are trying to give Billy, I don't want to say an excuse, but some factual grounding to what's been happening with his start from Urban, it, it is real. Two years in a row, Florida is last or second to last with returning starters in the SEC. That makes no sense. Go and try and figure that out. That's bizarre. It's weird. We also have the same level of anemic production returning two years in a row. 
But like we talked about last time, some of Florida's loss in returning production could be multiplication by subtraction, as we say. There you go. Uh, and so that's important to note. But yes, Alan, I like I like these dual categories. You can't just look at the stars because you have you have to look at production and proven production in college football matters. Utah obviously significant advantage there, but not Alan. If Rising and Kuthi are out, then yeah. those numbers change a lot. If you look at production, all right, their coaching staff been there a while as well. Andy Ludwig in his fifth year already. Morgan Scaley, the DC, in his eighth year, sixteenth at Utah overall. You know, that's that's a lot of stability, again, in college football, not just Kyle Winningham, but the coordinators as well. All right, let's talk about some of their offensive personnel. We talked about Cam Rising, you know, MVP of the Pac-12 title game, two-time All-Pac-12. That's either really relevant or really not relevant, and we don't know. Um, Brant Cuthy, again, excellent tight end. Is he going to play? Their wide receivers, Devon Vele, Money Parks, which is a great name. Money Parks is a great name, yep. but Vele is their guy. He's he's, yep. he's a target monster. And then obviously, Kuthi, you know, three-time, Allen, three-time all three time. twelve. That's pretty great. You look at our tight ends. We'd love to have a fourth-team SEC guy. He's three-time all back 12. Right. So leaving them, Tavion Thomas, Dalton Kincaid, one of their star offensive linemen as well. So tell but, us about their offense a little bit. I was going to say, let's start with the offensive line because really I think the reason Utah has been able to do what they've done in the Pac-12 is every single year they send guys to the league from their offensive line. They replace those guys with guys that immediately become all Pac-12 selections. Example is their left guard is Keaton Bills. He's a junior now. And last year he got the start for the first time for two guys who had departed. And he became all Pac-12 immediately. Their right guard Satoa Lamua is a three-time All-Pac-12 guy. So almost every year, they have two to three of their linemen as All-Pac-12 guys. Now, you can say the Pac-12 is not the SEC, and you'd be right. It's not. But that's why they're winning the Pac-12, right, is they are very successful at recruiting offensive linemen. So much so, Allen, they have two young guys on the team this year. They're both four-star offensive linemen. If you follow Florida's own recruiting, it's not that easy to get four-star offensive linemen. They frequently sign the top 15 tackles and guards every year in recruiting. And that is the lifeblood of this program. And that is what makes this team tick. That's what makes this team tick. Let's look at their scouting report to give you an idea of how important that offensive line is. They are 55% run, 45% pass, basically just like Florida. Last year, there were 14 in points per game, 17 in points per play, number seven in yards per rush, number 12 in sacks allowed number seven in third down conversion, and they were 60% converting on fourth down. It should be noted as a caveat here, and Ben Sykes, one of our loyal listeners and a great statistician in his own right, sent through the the narrative that the Pac-12 has the worst rushing defense collectively of any conference. Three of the worst run defenses in college football are all in the Pac-12. So a lot of these numbers get a little bit inflated for some of these Pac-12 teams offensively. But make no mistake about it, Utah has been a successful running team against just about anybody for many, many years now. Comes from that O-line. Let's take a little bit deeper look. They did lose two starters on the O-line, so that will, of course, factor in, but they generally plug and play that. Their running back scenario, though, is different this year. They will be a running back by committee, whereas last year, Tavian Thomas was a workhorse for them. He tore the Gators up. And because of that committee, they don't really have a bellwether guy. I don't have a bell cow, if you will. And their former quarterback... Uh, Jackson is probably the most home run potential guy, but also has some serious fumbling issues. So you can think of him as a guy who's probably learning ball security, pretty electric guy. 
Uh, they still have one of the best tight ends in the country. However, he's not paired with another one of the best tight ends in the country. So how does that affect them? They have talented freshmen and sophomore behind him, but what's that going to look like without both Kincaid and Kuthi out there? If Kuth doesn't go, then you have literally two unproven guys that are playing. One guy who's played half a season and was productive, and the other one who hasn't played at all. So that could significantly change the narrative of this game. Uh, similar to the year before, Allen, they still throw the majority of their passes between five yards and behind line of scrimmage. 50 plus percent of them are five yards or shorter. Only 12% are 20 yards or deeper. Most teams tend to be between 18 and 20% on deep passes. So they are very much what you'd expect. A 55% run, 45% pass team that relies on running the ball, creating lanes to throw to tight ends over the middle of the field that are either run blocking or pass blocking, which therefore does what, Allen puts pressure on your linebackers, which we know Florida has had major issues with in the past. And that's one reason why teams like this have hurt Florida. We will see what happens this year. Quick. Yeah, so thinking about, you know, rising versus not rising is really interesting here. You know, even... You got to note on here him being a, an effective runner. So even if he is in there, that part of his game is probably gone. Yeah, was and, an effective runner. Yeah, was an effective runner. Is the key yeah. word there, right? Um, yeah, I think it's interesting to think about them the last couple of years with these tight ends and just scorching people. And if that's not available to them, how are they going to respond? That'll be really interesting. Yeah, it will be for sure. And, and Rising, interestingly enough, carried on a couple of traits that we had previewed before the game last year into the last season as well. He still struggled the most significantly versus cover one and cover zero. It's a real thing. His quarterback rating drops almost 40 points. So he's on average in the mid-90s. He's in the 60s, typically, or even 50s against those coverages. He absolutely murders cover two man, which is an interesting an interesting thing in and of itself. And he does well against all zone coverages. He's also extremely solid versus all versus all pass rushing combos, except for five man, which is actually great. It's very interesting, Alan, that if you send six or seven, so if you send two or three blitzers at him, he kills you. It's his absolute best functioning defense to go against. But if you send just one, which is what you really want to do as a defensive coordinator, that allows you to use a creeper. It allows you to hide your pressures. It allows you more exotic. He struggles, and I suspect that's largely why. As the game of football has moved on, how do you counter these teams that pass like this? Well, you give them a pre-snap alignment, then you change who's rushing, which confuses the O-line, puts pressure on the quarterback, and then the post-snap read becomes tricky. So that's a good thing because Coach Ham wants to do a lot of that. So this does fit into what Florida's playbook should be like. Now we're going to see if Coach Ham is willing to do something that we were not willing to do last year which is actually line up and do what the data says, play cover one man as much as you feel comfortable doing because that is where Utah is the weakest, right? Will Florida be willing to do that? We're going to find out. 40%, 40% of Utah snaps last year were in 12 personnel. That's an unbelievably high number for any team in college football. They ran just 2% in 13 personnel, which means a quarter of their entire season's total of 13 personnel came versus Florida. Right, yeah. Will we see that this year? Probably not because you think they they're don't. in way less 12 considering their tight end situation. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. But certainly 13 was unique because they had both Kincaid and Kuthi playing so much together. And they could add the third guy who actually ex- excelled for them at the end of last year as just a blocking guy at that time. Will that happen this year? Perhaps not. Perhaps not, right? Uh, but we'll talk about whether or not Florida should expect as much 12 personnel as you just mentioned and how that's going to look. Uh, so, with all that being said, the table kind of being set there. 
We're going to assume for this entire breakdown until I get to the very end of what Florida's defense should do that rising plays because it's a much simpler narrative if he doesn't, right? The mm-hmm. most tools, the most options, the most attack-oriented plays they can run are with rising there, even if he can't run very well because he's a very effective pocket passer. So we'll continue on with that. So what should Florida's defense yeah. do? So this is interesting here, right? So just to set this up here, obviously Utah likes to run the ball. That's the that's their first foot forward, similar to Florida, and they want to attack with tight ends. Now, this, as you said, puts a lot of pressure on your linebackers. If you've got to be committed to the run and covering these tight ends, that puts you in a bind. What is the what is the antidote for that if you're a DC? Well, that's that's the key, right? Is you have to you have to essentially first stop the rushing attack. If you want to make the tight ends predictable, put them in third and long. They're not running the ball, right? If you want to make the tight ends the most valuable players on the football field, it's like chess. Give them third and short. Where's the knight going to go? I don't know. He's going to put pressure on me from everywhere, right? So you need to make the knight, again, carrying the chess analogy along, you need to make the knight 10 or 11 spaces away from where he's ultimately going, and then you can kind of know he can't get there. I'm okay with that. So that's the goal. You got you to turn the engine off by stopping the rushing attack. And Florida did a pretty good job of that in the first half of the game. And then you saw Utah go to that heavy package, that 13 personnel, and just start to grind Florida. And Florida had no answer, largely because Tony was seemingly against ever making the numbers in the box correct. I think Coach Ham will be much faster to do that. Florida wants to play a split safety this season, which is what Bama does, right? Other teams do this too. The big advantage here is you're going to roll your safety down into that kind of nickel area, largely to play aggressively against the run or tight ends running into the flat or vertical. That is a excellent weapon versus teams that want to do what Utah does. The question for Florida is, are we ready to execute this against a team that is as competent as Utah is? The schemes could be there. We could have practiced all these things, but can we execute it on game day? Because yeah, if especially you with don't, young safeties. Correct. If you don't, right, young safeties, veteran corners, but young safeties, some linebackers who are still learning, the dreaded busted coverage comes into play. Mm-hmm. And if the wrong guy drops down on a split safety and then one half of the field gets their read wrong, which is what's happening, right? Split safeties, and we'll talk more about this as the year goes on. But for now, a split safety defense is basically cutting the field in half and playing two different types of coverage on either side most of the time. It allows you to split the game into two games. So on one side, you could have a cover two. On the other side, you could play man or something like it, right? And the rules of what you're doing will change depending on what the offense does, if there's a motion. If you're a safety, you have to be able to do either one of those things. So you're either going to play man or you're going to play zone or you could be coming down in the box, stop a run. So it's versatile. It's really effective. But are we ready to handle what Utah may throw at us? We'll find out. But if you stop the rushing attack of Utah, if you can control this, you can stop their offense. This is not a team that's going to line up back there on third and six, seven, eight, nine and pass the ball on you continuously. It's not what they're going to do. You got to do that. Secondarily, this is obvious. We bang the table every single week for this, Alan. Gap control, gap control, gap control. Now, we saw in the spring game, which doesn't mean anything, the Florida's gap control and defensive line integrity was a million times better, especially during the pass rush. So can Florida maintain their discipline with the lights on, first game of the year, all the juice, to recognize they need to do their job, not blow past their spots, stay in their lane? That would go a long way towards helping Florida give control of that. If Florida does not control the running game, the rest of what I'm talking about won't matter. Because Utah will just keep running the football. So you have to stop the running game. Now, let's assume we're starting to have some success or at least mixed success stopping them. 
What do we do in the back end? Anytime it's a passing situation or really anytime in general, it's a wise move to make sure that somebody is covering Kuthi and sometimes perhaps bracket him depending on part of the field you're on, right? Especially in the red zone, I would bracket Kuthi and I would say someone else has to score on me. Secondarily, you got to make sure that Vile is also out of the picture. You take those two guys away, their number one receiver, number one tight end, there are not a lot of targets to throw around. They don't spread the ball very often. They're a highly targeted team. So let's see if we can focus on that and make that happen. So nice little package here, what to do. Meta strat for defense in this game. A lot of cover one. I'd probably sprinkle in some cover zero to give myself a little bit more pressure, ability to stop some run gaps and run lanes. And then ultimately only use your zones as an exploitative strategy that's well disguised, right? You've had a couple of success plays with some man perhaps here. Give him that similar look, pull out of it, go into a zone, try to rob a pick. It's a great way to go with that. Uh, lastly, you want to rush five as often as possible in passing situations versus rising. That's clear from the data. All his career, that's been his weak spot, rush five. No need to get excited. Don't send the house. Don't do it. He kills that. I don't care how tempting it is. Stick with your five. Mix up your looks. That's important. All right. Now, that's the plan if you're facing rising, right? Take out the top targets. Stop the run at all costs. Use whatever it takes numbers-wise to give yourself an advantage in the box. If they're running on you, bring a guy in the box, right? That was what we didn't see last year. Do it this year. Make them beat you over the top. If it's not rising, very, very different picture. Barnes is the QB in question who will be coming off the bench or perhaps starting. Very small sample size. He started one game, did get a win. Largely faced kind of garbage time scenarios where he handed the ball off a lot. But he has absolutely shredded cover four and cover six. Now, here's the deal. Why cover four and cover six? It makes sense. Teams go up against a guy like Barnes. They figure, hey, we're going to play a safe coverage in the back end. Trust he makes his own mistakes. He'll hang himself. He did not. He murdered that stuff, which means you don't want to just automatically go into a soft, sit back, deep zone shell and think this guy's going to hurt himself. He actually didn't. However, he did struggle versus what you'd expect a guy like him to struggle against. Man defense, very weak. Super, super poor when facing any kind of pressure. Five, six, or seven man. So one, two, or three blitzers. And also, kind of inexplicably, He's horrible versus cover three, which is weird. My best guess there is probably didn't face a lot of that in high school. But either way, have that on hand. Know what he's got. If, I, if I'm Coach Ham, I'm going to rotate those things through if it's him early on and kind of see what I'm feeling like he is really weak at. See what his game plan is oriented towards. See what Utah's made him comfortable for and get into something different because he does not have the experience or talent to throw Utah into a win here. So you can load the box, be aggressive, play, man, make this guy beat you, put him under pressure. I so, like it. I like yes. that game plan for Florida because guess what? Lastly, what does Coach Ham want to do? He wants to apply pressure to the quarterback via man coverage, creepers, right? Simulated pressures, switching roles between defensive ends and linebackers, which means he doesn't want to bring six or seven guys. He wants to bring one guy, but make it really confusing. So this, this I think, if Coach Ham is going to do what we think he's going to do, I think our game plan could fit very nicely into what you need to do to stop Utah. Now the question is, can we execute it? Right. So this is the other side of this is, has he been able to teach it well enough? It's not too dissimilar from what Patrick Tony was implementing. It's just in terms of the overall alignments, but the the aggressiveness is amped up. What you're going to do, how often are you going to play man? How often are you willing to switch into different things? Theoretically, it will be different. If it's Barnes at QB... And we're not basically playing a goal line defense. <laughs> I mean, that's a little extreme. 
if they're getting any kind of running game going on us with him in the game consistently, that's a crime. You have to make him beat you against man coverage, against pressure. And if he can do it, God bless him, and maybe you change. But you would have to be as aggressive as possible to give your offense every chance to have more snaps, more drives. And if Florida's defense is all capable, they should very much limit Barnes. If Barnes comes out there and starts strafing UF's defense and the tight ends and their running ball, it's going to be a long year, I think. It's going to be a long year because that is a no-go with Barnes. Again, if Ryzen comes out and does some stuff and we look at the film and say, you know what, I love our alignment. I love what we tried to do. It was a good pass. Or a young guy gets confused. Or it's it's game one, right? It's game right. one. But Barnes, this is where it gets interesting, right? If Barnes is playing, I think, as we talked about last week, you and I concur on this, the The national media is so asleep on the talent Florida has on defense in general. I mean, they are beyond asleep, especially in a game like this. It would be inexcusable for Florida not to significantly slow down a Barnes-led Utah attack. Inexcusable. Doesn't mean we shut them out, but there's got to be considerable difficulty for them moving the football if that is the hand that Utah is dealt and that we get to play against. So that is why I'm excited, Alan. Is I think, looking at what we know about Coach Ham, this stuff matches up. I think he's looking at this personally as a favorable matchup for him to display what he wants to do. This is a good situation for him in week one against a real opponent. Of course, you're playing a cupcake. That's ideal. But this is a good opportunity, I think, for this defense to get into this. Because lastly, Alan, they face this kind of stuff in a similar way versus their own offense every single day, right? They're not going to be shocked, but this is what they see all the time. They see 11 personnel, they see 12 personnel all the time. So I think, I think, cautiously optimistic, also pseudo-irrationally excited that this could be a nice debut for the defense if things fall right. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So on the other hand, Utah's defensive personnel, a little more stability on that side of the ball. 
in terms of guys they're bringing back. Jonah Ellis at the end, all pack 12 Van Fillinger, the end uh, productive guy before he's injured and their tackles one Peppa freshman, all American junior Tafuna, all pack 12. And then their linebackers are talented too. Lander Barton, freshman, all American Kareen Reed, all pack 12. And then Cole Bishop, a guy, I think two time, all pack 12, their team captain is probably like even maybe gets the most attention, right? They did lose some guys, Clark Phillips, all pack 12 gone. We all remember Mahmoud Diabate. He's gone. Who but might no, make the Browns roster. Brother. Yeah. Today is him. the cut day for him and they got him at like 50, 50. So good for him. So a lot of guys to note here. This is, I don't know. You know, you look at their star ratings, maybe not the biggest star rating group, but I think a accomplished and competent unit. Yeah, this is the thing, right? So they had to replace six of seven, six of seven starters last year entering the Florida game, which is why we were so high on Florida being able to run the ball on them with their offensive line. So now what happened? They returned all those guys, right? So those guys are now starters. They're moving on. But the reality is those guys were successful. Yes, it's the Pac-12. Yes, we understand. It doesn't matter. Those young guys were successful. That means and explains largely why Whittingham is successful at Utah. They identify talent. They develop their talent. Their talent gets in and plays. They do good things. So this unit, like you mentioned, not high on star power with recruiting rankings, so to speak, but high on production last year. Now, how does this translate versus an SEC team? More power, bigger guys, more athleticism. That's a real thing. It's a true thing, right? How does this work in game one? And this is a major question mark to me because we don't really know how good is that front seven. I'm going to say the front seven's on the rise. I think it's a unit they like. I think they feel good about their D tackles and DNs. Uh, but they're still not like a proven SEC unit, but they're not like they were last year either. So expect a lot more competence out of them, Alan. Expect things to be much more difficult for Florida to run the football. However, unlike last year, where you had Clark Phillips, who was a baller at corner and a guy they could really flex to lock people down, they are very weak in their secondary. Very weak. They really don't have anyone they can necessarily trust. Their best guy, to Travis Broughton, is a senior. He's only really played half the games he's had, been injured sometimes, was good early in his career. Kind of as his career went on, he's sort of just been a guy. He's their best guy. They got some young guys. They have some talented young guys, a four-star guy, but these are freshmen. So they don't have a secondary they can count on here. They have a safety in Cole Bishop, who's a stud. He'll keep the team organized. They have two other strong safeties they like, but those guys are also young. So the secondary now is the question mark. It's totally inverted from last year. It's flipped. Does that bode well for Florida right out of the gate? No, not really. We're not exactly a competent passing team either, right? So unfortunately, right, yet, I like that. Uh, Unfortunately, this does mean you sort of have unknown Florida offense versus what Utah thinks is a known front seven and an unknown back end. So I think they also like their matchup. They look and say, okay, who, who does Florida have a wide receiver? Okay, we got Ricky, Pearsall, and then nobody that we're worried about. We got one. Okay, great. Our guys can handle that, right? No problem. We can shade him, double him, help out with Cole over the top. Great. So they're looking at it that way, I can assure you. But what else can we learn about them? Well, I think tactically, this is going to be a very different defense than last year. All right. They played 30% man last year. I think you're going to see that number go down. Because they don't have the corner power. I expect that number to be probably between 17 and 20%, right? Significant reduction. They utilize cover for the least. 
They rarely ever rush three, so they're not dropping eight. However, this year, they'll probably drop eight a bit more to help themselves out. They brought pressure in incredible 41% of the time last year. That is an insane number for a team like Utah. That's way against their average, which typically is around you know, 30, 29, 28%. I expect that pressure number to drop significantly as well. Because if you don't have a secondary you can trust, you cannot bring that kind of pressure. You just cannot do it. It's too suicidal. I expect that to come down as well. They are multiple, just like we are on defense with their front, meaning they can give you a 3-4 or a 4-3 or a 5-2. They give you a bunch of different looks up front. They'll mix that up. Essentially, Florida was expected to have their way against Utah rushing the ball last year, Allen. I don't expect Florida to be able to have their way, but I also expect that Billy and the staff think they can be successful versus this Utah unit. This is not an SEC front seven. As well as they've done versus the Pac-12, this is not even the average SEC front seven that Florida's going to face. So I think they like what they have there. However, I think it's pretty simple here. What is this game plan going to boil down to? Utah spent presumably their entire, entire fall camp doing one thing. We are not going to let Florida run on us like they ran on us last year. That was an embarrassment. That's not how we play football. We believe in the line of scrimmage. We're a line of scrimmage football team. They're going to come into our house, and we are not letting that happen. On top of that, they're not going to believe in Graham Mertz. They've seen the tape on him. He can be really, really good that like we talked about. He can be not so good. When he's pressured, he's not so good. So that's the question, though, Alan, is do they feel comfortable bringing pressure with an inexperienced back end? Can Billy do some stuff to help Mertz get some easy throws? We were begging for this last year. Why can't we just get some easier throws for AR, right? Scheme up some stuff. In the Tennessee game, that was probably the best example of some easy throws and some good offense at times. We really were hitting our flow. Can we do some of that to take advantage of a Utah team that might feel like they have to pressure us, right? Because they don't trust our pass game, which will expose them in the secondary, but make no mistake about it. You got to believe if you're Utah, you're coming out and you're saying, we're going to load the box. We're going to make sure you're not running on us. We're not going to let that junk happen. And Florida needs to be prepared to do something they didn't have to do last year, which is actually throw the football when it matters. They kind of felt like, hey, they probably don't know what we have here in a rushing game. They're super young. Let's just run the football. So this is going to be a really good chess match from both coaches. Who is able to read the other one better? Who's able to make the adjustments from year one to year two? And who is able to get their team to execute more? Both teams have question marks in a variety of places. Who can get those new guys to play effectively in a game that matters? Right. So I would expect Utah to challenge Florida early. Are you willing to play left-handed here? Exactly. And is Billy willing to pass on pass on early downs, right? Wasn't willing to do this a lot last year. We were pretty... I'll use the word predictable, right? And what we're going to do, we're not going to abandon the running game. We're going to try that a ton, but is he willing to pass when Utah is loading up the box early on saying, can Graham Mertz do any of this? And right. If you start to soften them up a little bit, if you beat them with some plays, you're going to make them think twice about just putting everybody in the line of scrimmage. If we just come out, run, run, punt, run, run, punt. I think that's going to be a lot of trouble for us. Yeah. Pass the ball on first down. Give give Graham Mertz an easy throw. This is a he's new, but he's not new, right? So if you start the game with a pass on first down, it's not like he's gonna go, uh-oh, what do I do? I'm not a freshman quarterback. I've played before. You gotta have to trust that a little bit. That's why you brought him in. 
if you're not going to allow him to do that against advantageous looks, right? If they're coming out here and they're putting like nine guys in the box and you're going to slam Montreal Johnson into the line, that's not going to help you very much. It doesn't mean you don't run the ball. Of course, you're going to run the ball a ton, probably half the time. But are you willing to lean into your advantage of throwing against, you know, secondary that probably will give you some looks and some easy yards, right? Because they're not going to want to get beat over the top right at the beginning of the game. And let's talk about Graham Mertz. We've talked a lot about Utah to get you ready for them. It is Utah prep. But also being that it's game one, we don't have all the Florida talk we normally have, right? So let's talk about Mertz in general. You nailed this. The reason you bring in a guy who's played 33 or whatever the number is of starting games, that this game is a routine for him. He's done this. This is not going to be new to him. It's a new team. But in reality, he's been here long enough to have all the verbiage down. He's a football guy. If there's one thing I've heard everyone tell me, this guy is a football guy, meaning he loves the strategy of football. He loves film. If he were on this podcast and we start breaking stuff down, from what I understand, he'd be great at that. What's the coverage? Why they do it? What do you see? What do you think you're going to see? Now we're going to see if all that stuff that I love, right, translates in a new place for him and we get the, let's call it the Joe Burrow effect. I'll take the Jeff Driscoll effect. Jeff Driscoll went to Louisiana Tech and became a pretty competent quarterback, Alan, much to a lot of people's surprise. If we get that out of Mertz, this football team can go where we needed to go this season. I'm looking for Jeff Driscoll-like stuff as a hope. I don't know what to expect yet based on my film review. He could do it. He's capable of that, right? But to your point, this is a game where if I'm Napier, it's like, hey, look, this is why I brought you in. This is what you're here for. We're on the road. we got a team with some question marks, but you don't have question marks. Utah's got very exploitable areas on their defense, right? We can get them. We can take advantage of this. We have a bigger line than them. Their front seven is still inexperienced, although they're talented. Uh, their secondary is a huge question mark. I'm going to need you, especially early, Alan. I love what you said. If I'm Utah, I'm testing early what they do. You might come out and say, let's play soft for a second, see if Florida can run on us. If they start to run at all, you fling your first test at them. Let's see what Mertz is capable of. Let's expose ourselves here because we need to see, as you mentioned, is Florida going to play left-handed? How much does Billy trust Mertz? And you'll know. You'll know right away as a defense. If you put something out there and you dare a team to do something and they don't do it, you know the coach does not believe in Mertz, and we will know that. So I think that's going to be fascinating early on, is how much does Napier believe in what he's done with his passing offense? Will he utilize it early if Utah dictates that's where the ball should go? We heard Billy tell us. We've heard Billy tell countless others. The offense has encountered everything else. You take what the defense gives you. Well, if that means the vertical route, can we get to the vertical route, right? If it's underneath, can we hit the underneath route? We're going to find out. It's going to be really interesting. Um, I think this is why you love openers against a real opponent. There are so many question marks that you have to figure out. The drama. And the drama's here. And look, with Mertz on film, we talked about this on our film review. Some games he'd come out and he loved an opening slant route at, um, at Wisconsin. It wouldn't surprise me if you see Utah try to jump that slant route early. And it's almost like the games he'd hit it, he's going to have a great game. The games he'd miss it, the wheels fell off. So we'll see if we can get him going early to where he gets into it, and then maybe Florida starts. Right, and if they and if Utah loads up against the run, and we have one on one, I don't care who the receiver is, and they're they're declaring what they're doing that they're not jumping this route, and that slant is open. Do we let him do it? 
That's the key. And right. that's supposedly, yes, right. right? That's what we're hearing. He's got full control. So we're going to find out. So a lot of questions will be answered. Uh, again, a lot of weakness on weakness in some regards, strength on weakness in other regards, question marks for injuries for Utah. This is a very compelling matchup. It should be great theater for both teams, really, to figure out what's happening. I think if you're a Utah fan, if I'm a Utah fan, I'm way more nervous than if I'm a Florida fan. Because, right. man, the, the prospect of playing without rising and potentially without Kuthi is making me sick against a Florida team who this is like an historically great time to try and beat us. It's a bad feeling. If you're a Florida fan, I think right now we got a lot in front of us, a lot of good things to feel good about, but we could be the ones ending Thursday night feeling really bad if things look the way we hope they don't look, right? So we're going to learn a lot. Okay. The categories aren't that helpful yet, as we call them special teams, penalties, turnover margin, and time possession, because we don't know any of those things. Uh, Taking a guess that Utah has a slight advantage here on special teams, because they have a strong history of special teams. We'll they got see. a new kicker. Yeah. Florida's, you know, flexing two kickers they don't really love. I mean, I think it's probably a push, but yeah, we're going to go with the fact that Utah is, like you said, strong history of success there. We'll just give them a lean, probably a push. Who knows? All right, injuries. We've talked a lot about the Utah ones. Kingsley, our center, is questionable, at least as far as I know right now. And that's huge. Day that day, would yep. be massive loss for Florida. Right. So th- I think they're hoping that he can play, but that is really up in the air. Massive loss if that yeah. happens out. Um, not as big as like a Cam Rising kind of movement, but I have no idea who they would even throw in there at it's this bad. point. Like we said, we really can't afford any losses on the O-line, and especially not at center, and this would be bad. Yep. Bad, bad, bad. Okay. We brought this element in last year. It was super fun, so we're bringing it back. Big homies culture corner. You want to tell us a little bit about? Yeah, Utah? let's just let's alternate. I'll talk mascot. Yeah. You talk holy war. So, University of Utah is known as the Utes. Of course, most of you know this, but maybe you didn't know. It's in honor of the American Indigenous tribe for which the state of Utah is named. There you go. In years past, a student would dress up as the Crimson Warrior, similar to a mascot. I won't name it Florida State because we don't want to give them any love <laughs> to celebrate Utes football. And now a red-tailed hawk named Swoop has served as the official mascot for all of Utah athletics instead. Uh, so different switch up there. But Utah is one of the full, a few schools granted waivers to retain their nicknames, much like Florida State, after gaining support from their respective tribes. That's an important one there. Most people do, though, know Utah I think synonymously with BYU and the state of Utah in general and the aforementioned Holy War. Tell us a little bit about that, Alan. Yeah, so this is a big-time rivalry game that if you're from the South, maybe you're just not aware of it. So BYU obviously is a you know university connected to the LDS, you know the Mormon church. Um, obviously, big Mormon population in Utah. Salt Lake City is a little bit of an outlier that we're um, – the University of Utah is. So this is kind of a newer like nickname for it uh, in the 90s. And so it's kind of fun, though. I love it. It has a vibe. It's, you can talk about the Holy War. There is no love lost between these two universes. They're actually really close. Um, like, I, I think less than an hour apart, um, if I'm if I'm correct, right? So, uh, and yeah, it's kind of similar to... Florida, Georgia, they claim different records. So Utah is counting six games that <laughs> BYU doesn't recognize. Um, and they've been close a lot. So especially recently when both teams have been pretty good. Um, so it's a fun one. You know, uh, I think if you watch one other Utah game, this is maybe the one that you would want to watch just because you're going to see a lot of animosity there. 
Yeah, a lot of animosity there. And also the Holy War, what a, what a great name for a rivalry, uh, like the Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State, too. There's, there's some good ones out there. All right, the fans' reputation, always my favorite category. What are the fans like if you're going on the road? I know a lot of Gator fans are going to be there. A lot of my friends are going to be there. Here's what you got to look out for. The mighty Utah student section. The mighty Utah student section, also known as the MUSS, M-U-S-S. According to the university, the MUSS is a noun that means a state of disorder, an acronym at the university. It has come to mean the mighty Utah student section. It loves to tally, and I like the sound a lot. This is kind of great. It tallies teams opposing false starts by hanging fives for five yards in front of the student section, very similar to holding Ks or backwards Ks in a baseball stadium. Huge fan of that. I think that's really cool. So hopefully they do not hang a lot of fives in front of their student section because if they do, that could be a long day for Florida. So that's your prep on the culture there out in Utah. The weather should be great, uh, which is nice. Of course, high altitude, which Mm. you may have read that Billy talked about. It takes 10 full days to acclimate to high altitude, according to science. So what most NFL teams do in altitude is they get there and spend the least amount of time possible, which is what Florida was planning on doing, Alan. But to your point with the tropical storm and whatnot, they might be leaving tomorrow. Maybe they're going to leave tomorrow, in which case they'll be there for an extra day or two. I think all that stuff really doesn't mean much as someone who's landed the next day, done some significant hikes in various places that are high altitude when sometimes landed and waited two days, it always kind of feels the same if you're coming from sea level. So I'm kind of with Billy that I don't think that's really going to, you can't beat that in a short term scenario. You just have to be ready to play within it. All right. It is time. It's time to make a prediction. Here we are. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's start with keys to the game here. Why don't you give yours first? I'll start with the offense. If you're guessing on your bingo card that passing this time and not running is going to be my key to the game, you are correct. Of course, we have to run the ball competently to be able to win this game. But I think the reality, unlike last year, is we will need to be able to competently pass the football to win this game. Last year, we didn't have to. This year, I think we have to. That does not mean we need to light it up. We don't need to throw for 300 yards. But I do think, Allen, we need to throw for 215 which is pretty pedestrian, but for Billy, we're often very pedestrian on offense passing. A 215-yard passing day, I think, would be just enough for Florida to be able to get a win on the road versus this edition of a Utah team. What do you got? All right, offense. I'm going to go similar thought here, but I think it's going to come down to how efficient Graham Mertz is because I don't think we're going to ask him to do a lot, but when we ask him to do something, it needs to happen. So I want to see north of 65% completion rate. That means he's hitting the plays that we're asking him to do. And I'd love it to be even higher, right? If he's hitting like 70, that means we are strafing them. That means they're leaving big gaps and we're hitting them. And I think that's going to open up the running game. I almost went with runs, yards per carry, but I think that's that's going to be important. But I think that this might be a more telling stat. Well, I'm really glad that you went with that stat because you didn't know this, but I was going to save this one as a little bonus one, but you oh. just led right into it. This is, again, courtesy of Ben Sykes. He's getting a lot of love on this podcast go, because he deserves it. He compiled a ton of stats and sent them to me, and, and here's one that's great. Graham Mertz, you ready for this? Mm-hmm. In 2022, was 4-0 when completing 60% of his passes. Not 65, 60. Margin of victory, 36 points. 2021, he was 6-0 when completing 60% of his passes. Margin of victory, 23 points. 2020, he was 3-0 when completing 60% of his passes. Margin of victory, 19 points. He is a career 13-0 and 
when completing Let's more go. than 60% of his passes. And he is a career four and 13 when completing less. So 65% with these stats guarantees a win, but also it goes to show you the frustrating nature of Graham Mertz and why he can be, he could be a really good quarterback and why the film review shows that. But 60% is not a high completion percentage in college football. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. So that seems very achievable, right? Like, come on, 60%. Well, also that means 65%. We're probably not putting him in bad down and distance. Correct. Where that number starts to lower because you're having to make much more difficult throws. And then unfortunately for him, when his comp rate's low, his turnover rate also goes higher. Some guys, like AR was interesting, right? He could still have a low comp rate, but oftentimes wouldn't necessarily turn the ball over. With Mertz, it's almost like if he's above 60, he is never turning it over and he's killing you. And if it's below, it's ugly. So... I love that you. I love that you hit that because I was going to say that as like, the, hey, if you want your really feather in a cap moment, look intuitive. at comp percentage. But you nailed it because you're a pro. That's why you're on this podcast, right? <laughs> hit me with your defensive key. No, you're you're first in this category. Come on, fine. I'll I'll do it. I'll take I'll take the bait. All right. So for defense, it's a little bit trickier. Um, obviously Utah wants to run the football, so we can go with the same thing. Can we control the run? And that's what I'm going to go with because Florida was horrific as we know, almost all last year in containing running quarterbacks, even just stopping the run in general for most games, being competent in gap control and a whole host of other things. So I'm going to go not with the tight end narrative, not with their wide receivers who maybe can do some damage, but with the fact that this defense has got to be able to competently control the run of Utah. And if they can, I think this Utah team will have a hard time matching up with Florida's perceived strength which is going to be those corners matching up. And I think a nickel finally in Perkins, who I think can cover Kuthi one-on-one easily minus a jump ball here and there. Right. But I like those matchups. If we go that way, I think that's solid. So I'm going to go with rushing and I'm going to go here with a, a yards per carry. I think that's going to be most instructive here. I think if we can hold them again, not anything amazing, but four yards per carry, which is a good average, but for Utah, they want to be in five, five and a half. They're going to really win games against opponents like us. I'm going to go four yards or less, which again, still relatively pedestrian, but important for this unit. So I was going to, I'm thought about that, but I'm going to, I am going to go with the tight end narrative as you talked about it. Are we sub 75 yards for tight ends total? Love that. Love that. And I think if you put all these together, I think Florida wins this probably like 95%. Mm-hmm. Of the time. If these four things happen, I think that's that's going to happen. Now, it is your turn to make the first prediction of the 2023 football season. All right, we're going to make two here, right? We're going to make two. You get the with rising and without rising. Okay, I'm going to go with rising. We lose 2017. And without. And without, we win 17-16. Wow, nice. Okay, all right. I might be off my rocker here. I love it. Give it to um, me. I could be. But, you know, I, I've looked at this game a lot with the matchups, looked at last year a lot. And with rising, I'm going to say that Florida wins this football game 24-21. And that's because of my irrational exuberance for Coach Ham. Without rising, because of my irrational exuberance for Coach Ham. I think we win this game probably like 27-10. to 10. But I'm going to go 27-13. To not myself get too excited. Okay. So almost all that bet hedges entirely not on Mertz and not on Napier because I don't believe in that yet. I think that's going to be middle of the road until I see better. I'm just believing in the defense improving from 100th and one of the worst third down defenses in all of football to something even middling, like 50th. 
And I think that changes the game for us. So right, the without rising, the score could start to escalate. I picked the Gators, you know, the same number there. But I if like you're going to start to get turnovers, That's if you turn thinking. them over, then you that that score we could win thirty sixteen. But we have three wins here and one loss, so that means it's time to tally up our wins from last year. That means that you potentially have us at eight, and I definitely have us at eight. Right. Which once again, as I've tend to do on these season previews, I tell myself. High. Seven's the number for sure, which I felt like that was true. But this this rising Kuthi narrative, the the digging deep on what's happening, my love for Ham, this game very much feels like a coin flip to me. I'll tell you one thing it doesn't feel like. If you look at the predictive indexes, Utah's like 70 plus percent to win. Despite the fact, despite the fact, Alan, that in, in anybody's talent composite, including FPI, Florida is higher than Utah. So you tell me what kind of algorithm is crafting some stuff up where you say, okay, here's how I calculate all these teams in college football and their success rate, and I use my predictive algorithm. Florida's 11th, Utah's 15th. Utah, 73% win rate. That's bizarre. I'd look at my algorithm and think, I probably have not programmed this correctly, per se. And if this, you know what? I think if we had Patrick Tony still as our DC, I would pick us to lose by... 14 no matter what. Oh, I would have no belief. Yeah. Right. I would have to see it first. You got to see something new. So right. the not, narrative change yeah. here is, as you said, all about our. We're buying DC. into the newness here. And I right. love newness. And I'm prone to over loving newness. But there's some wonky stuff out there. That's the reality with this game. This it, it, There's just some wonky stats. I'm a man of the data. You look at the data and you think, this doesn't make sense. Utah does have more production. They're more experienced. They're further along in their program. They're more stable and they're at home. Good reason to give them the edge. But man. A seventy-three percent win rate does it do, look at the it doesn't make sense on paper to me, Alan. It doesn't make sense on paper. Yeah, Bill Connolly SP plus as I think was pretty accurate on the game last year, even though it had Utah winning kind of like a little bit of my score, like the score is a little bit flipped, but it was close. A similar pick here, Utah winning close against Florida. I think the the score is probably much more elevated on his prediction, but um, yeah. I, it doesn't feel like necessarily we're going to get blown out unless the defense is the same as last year and there's zero improvement and cam rising plays and we, and Kuthi plays and we get torched, right? That, that's a possibility, but the defense had all improved. I think it's going to slow them down significantly. Yeah. So to me, this feels like a coin flip with the plus side to Utah, but given what we've talked about today, I'm flipping that around to Florida winning close. It feels like a coin flip to me though. However, what matters to me the most here is what this game looks like. I want to sit in this chair next week. And I want to be ecstatic to report that so many things we saw last year showed foundational change and a reason for us to believe that this team can grow into the new shell, so to speak. That will make me the happiest. I'll, I would, I'm going to say this, and I know some of you might disagree with this. I would rather take a loss, like a brutal loss, where we execute well, things make sense, we look good, we're competent, and we lose at the end versus a team on the road with a team that has questions in us than a, a win where everything looks bad, it's real fluky, we have bizarre things happen. I'm going to take this to be like Kentucky beating us last year. We went on the podcast and said, listen, if you're a Kentucky fan, your team is trash. This is a bad football team. And they were a bad football team. They won against us. I don't want that. I want this style to indicate we're going in the right direction. Well said. Yeah, I think, you'll, like I said, you'll take the win no matter what. For sure. But I think that would be disappointing. You wouldn't be happy if everything looks like garbage and yeah. for some reason, they had six turnovers and we won the game. Correct. That are fluky or whatever. You want to look like you're going in the right direction, especially because Billy's had a quiet confidence all offseason long that this team is much more ready than last year's team. And if that's true, 
you can make the argument they should beat Utah. So we're going to find out. All right, I'm so excited for this next segment. Let's dive into it. Okay, let's do those season over-unders here. So we picked a somewhat random sampling of teams here, just some teams that we were interested in seeing what happens with them. And, you know, these are most of the best teams in America, plus a couple of extra interesting ones. And we should come back at the end of the year and see how we did with these. We will. In fact, let's do that. Okay. All right. First up, Georgia at a very healthy 11 and a half. Do you think they're going undefeated? I'm taking the over. Until proven otherwise, I'm a man of momentum. I use it for my firm. I use it in life. They've won two in a row. Carson Beck in, Stetson Bennett, a college gamer, out, obviously. But there's so much talent on this team. The schedule's favorable. It's just to bet the under would require you to just think they can't do it, which is fine and reasonable, but I'm going to let them prove that to me. I'm going to go under. I think they drop one, a random one. I mean, they almost lost to Missouri last year. Stuff happens. Yeah, they should have lost to Missouri. Yeah, it's reasonable to go under for sure. All right, Alabama at 10. Alabama's schedule, much harder than uh-huh. Georgia's schedule. Yes. Uh, new quarterback that's pretty unproven. And because of that, I'm going to take the under. Are we allowed um, to take the push? I, the push is what I like. Yeah, I was going to. Can I take the push? Because I'm taking the push. Yeah. Okay, I like the push because I actually, I actually like this Bama team. I think Saban does some of his best work when the national media sort of begins to forget that maybe he can challenge Georgia. But the question marks at quarterback are a little troubling. I'll push as well. Okay, I like that. So, yeah, because it feels like they're – I mean, it's harder. It's not a great idea to take a push, but it, it feels, feels like right. in their case, right. It feels right. All right, FSU, nine and a half. Oh, under. Give, hit, kill the under on that for me. Their schedule's really easy. I mm-hmm. understand that. I don't care. This is a team that lost a bunch of games last year, won a bunch of games, won a bunch of games close, is not actually all that talented, and is riding some sort of fever dream, I think, of preseason pub. Yeah, I like them at nine or so, so I'll go under as well. In the SEC, how many wins do you think they have? It's probably still seven or eight. Yeah, it will be. I think seven would be the number I put it at there. That's probably most realistic for them. This is just depends not, on how it shakes out. Are they in the they're West? Not that they're talented. Not, you know? Yeah, I like seven. All right, all right. Texas at nine and a half. Are you? Is Texas back for you? Man, I, I do like their quarterback room a lot. Obviously, and Quinn under delivered last year. Got hurt for a while, but man, before he was hurt, he was slinging the football. Is Steve Sarkeesian the guy? Are they ready? Their schedule also pretty favorable. That's he's thing. never won ten games. I don't think. I know he hasn't. And there you go. I'm glad you brought that in there because the problem with this bet is not the talent, not the roster, not the quarterbacks. It's Steve Sarkeesian himself, and for that reason, he has to prove it to me. And so until he proves it to me, I'm going under. Give me the under. All right, LSU nine and a half. LSU schedule tricky, possible. Uh, I'm a believer in Brian Kelly, as all of you know. So I'm going to take the over for that sole reason. Mm, this one's a hard one for me. I like them about nine or ten, and it just depends on how things shake out for them. Man, I, have I gone under on everybody? Um, you have. <laughs> yeah. You're in a pessimistic push. mood. Can't. Push I don't know. One. I don't love them either. I'm going to go under again. Okay. I like it. You don't love anyone. I'm down. All right, you US- love no one. I can't wait to see your playoff picks. Yeah. Uh, USC at 10. Oh, man. Again, really easy schedule here. That defense doesn't seem to be better, at least based upon game one. And because of that. Does that matter, though? I'm going to take a push. Oh. I'm- Bet you didn't see that coming, did you? No, I'm going to go over. <laughs> okay. Ah, there you go. That's a packed. Tip. That's All right, how many USC, how many wins in the SEC? I think about eight. I think eight. One more than Florida State, in my opinion. Okay. All okay. right. Tam U, Texas A&M at eight. 
This team is very talented, but they also lost a ton of people. They seem to be in a free fall. They've got Petrino there as a great college OC. How's that all going to work? I think if this team gets off to a good start, they're going over this number. But, I mean, how the heck do you bet this? I have no idea. I would stay very far away. I mean, I would, you're making me do it. But, I mean, shoot, dude. I mean, this is unbelievable. I'm going to, just because I'm going to, I'm going to take the over here and assume that they get the ship righted enough to get nine wins. But, I mean, I'm not touching this. Do I think it's going to, the wheels are going to come off? They will. This will be the end if they don't. I think if they win seven or six, like, oh, man. the the. I'll Jim- take that in. Give me under again. Yeah, I mean, Jimbo's contract's locked in, but I mean, oh, boy. That's going to be bad. All right, Tennessee at nine. I love Tennessee. I hate them, obviously, and I love them, and I love the offense, and I'm going to say it every time Tennessee comes up because I love that style. Nine is a lot in the SEC. Well, over nine, you have to go. You're gonna have, have to, to go, go 10. ten. That's a lot. I like this team. I don't love their defense, and that's the problem for me. I'm gonna go push. I don't. They're not an eight win team to me, but ten wins is ten wins is a lot. Give me push as well. Yeah. Okay, like All that. right, Oklahoma nine and a half. Super soft schedule again. If Venables doesn't win nine games this year, it's panic time. Very talented team. Does They're recruiting win? really well, too. Yes, though. they are. No, I, I know, but I'm saying that's be, this schedule is so <coughs> different. Like, you got to wonder about on field stuff. I'm going to take them to get 10 wins. I'm going over. Let's keep the streak alive and go under again for me. <laughs> I like it. I love it. Hey, you know, under is actually the right bet statistically. Yeah. Uh, that's the gambler's bet. You almost never want to take the overs in most scenarios, take the under. That's including on, uh, on point totals, by the way. All right. All right. Ohio State, 10 and a half. I don't love Ryan Day at Ohio State these days. I mean, he's not proving it to me. I'm going under. I know. I think Big I'll, words there. I think I'll go under with you again. I, 10 is good where I would want them. Yep, so that, that's that point five is good. I'm right there. All right, Michigan 10 and a half. I'm going to go over. Uh, I'm joining you. I think that Michigan is, is stepping all over Ohio State. It's in the Ohio State fans' heads. It doesn't seem like it's going to necessarily stop this season. This is a nice. This is a nice veteran team that I think can make some noise. Clemson, 10. I think Clemson's back this year. I'm taking Clemson with the over. Yeah, I'll join you there as well. All right, Oregon, 9.5. I love Lanning. I think he's doing good stuff. Pac-12 is weak. How weak is it, though? Because it's competitive. When I say weak, it's it's like there's no, there's no juggernaut. Teams, yeah. But it's actually extremely competitive. Really competitive. Oregon State's game. Washington's got a nice team out there. Right, USC's obviously UCLA's in the upswing. So because of that, although I like what Lanning's doing, I'm going to take the under. Take the under there. <laughs> this is a hard one. I'm going to go under as well. I think nine is about where I'd want them. So with that point five, I got to go under. Yeah, nice pick. All right, Penn State. Nine and a half as well. Penn State is buying the hype here? No, but their schedule. Have you looked at their schedule? I mean, man, like... <coughs> They're like the Georgia of the Big Ten this year. I mean, their, their schedule is a joke. And it's like, I don't like this Penn State team. But I mean, ugh, I mean, what? I don't know how they don't win 10 games. I mean, it, it's it would be a crazy failure if they don't, I feel like. So I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over here as well. I went under with Ohio State, so I have to go over here, I think. All right, Wisconsin, new coach. Luke Fickle. Yeah. Big time. I'm excited to see what he can do in year one with that team. Eight and a half? It's high for me. Mm-hmm. 
I love Luke Fickle. I'm a big believer in him, especially with that job fit. Wisconsin's a team that typically does win nine games, so this room not for optimism. Big Ten's competitive. I mean, this this feels right. It, it feels like it's going to be eight or nine. Can he do it in year one? Is year is it enough just with one off season, Allen, these days to turn stuff around? It doesn't feel like it is. I think he gets eight wins. I'm going to go on. <laughs> you know, they're bringing a new offensive system that changes their identity a lot, and I think it's going to catch up to them a little bit. I like them at eight, but I don't like them at eight and five. I'll go under. All right. Auburn, six and a half. Are you a believer in the freeze effect? I'm a big believer in the freeze effect. Uh, I like this team with the over here. Yeah, me too. I think seven is a good number for them. Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, six feels low. That It could be true. I mean, they can improve slower, but I'm willing to take the over there with Auburn. All right, another new coach, Matt Rule at Nebraska. Six and a half as well. So this is probably one of the more popular over picks here. A guy who's an excellent college football coach in a territory he's comfortable with, where he's already succeeded with a similar set of restrictions. Uh, Nebraska does have a talented roster, kind of similar to Florida, like relative to who they play. They, they're talented, uh, not as talented as Florida, obviously. If you're inferring that, that's not correct. But I'm going to take uh, Nebraska here for the over as well until proven otherwise. I think I think this is a good fit for rule. Yeah, I like it here too. I like seven. I think that'd be a really fun season for them. I think they'll get there. All right, there you have it. There are our season over and unders. We'll revisit this at the end of the year and we'll see just how well we did with these tracks. Of course, the reason why over-unders for seasons are so tricky is injuries can play a ginormous role in that. Uh, but fun bets nonetheless. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Now it's playoff prediction time. I can't wait to see what you come up with because <laughs> this year, this is a tricky year for me. Some years are easier than others. This one, I think it feels very open to me in some respects. Somebody you go first. I feel really good about two. Okay. I'm going to go Georgia and Michigan. Okay. Yeah, that's that's me too. I'll just, spoiler alert. I mean, who doesn't have that? I got yep. you. I'm right there with you. And okay. then the next one, I do think USC is going to go Wow. Undefeated or one loss okay. Okay. and come from the Pac-12. It is playoff Lincoln. That's what the guy yeah. does. Okay. And the last one, I'm going to go. This isn't a wild card because they're a dependable playoff team, but you're guessing it, Clemson. I knew it because I have Clemson too, which means we only differ on one. All right, who you got here in your fourth? And you can maybe already infer this from my picks. If you look at my picks, I'm going to have two SEC teams in there. 
The yeah. question is, here's what I think is going to be zany this year. I think the team that potentially doesn't play in the SEC title might be the fourth team in the playoff. Yep. Is that is going to be a classic Alabama? And I think it's going to be a classic Alabama. Okay. So that's what I think is going to happen. It feels like a classic Alabama year. I look at the rest of the list, and I don't know how that's going to work out with everyone else getting there, but I do see a classic Alabama scenario. Um, basically, if you're in the West, perhaps you hope not to play Georgia, but also here's the flip side of this. What do you do if Georgia's undefeated and only loses in the SEC title game? Yeah. So it's hard for me not to see two SEC teams in this year, given the rest of the of the of the college football landscape. But interesting or less. So we share, I think, for the first time ever, three of four together. Uh, I like your picks, obviously. All right. USC is a wild card, but I like, you know, you're banking on a guy who's historically a reliable playoff competitor who left. And they were basically right there last yeah. year. They almost made it. Yeah, and he left, obviously, a real conference to go to that one to have an easier life. So we'll see if it works out for him. Okay. Small slate this week. Just not a lot of games to pick. We got the best ones here for you. The aforementioned Nebraska at Minnesota. Minnesota very by seven. This is also on Thursday night. Yeah, so Minnesota really hard to get a read on them like obviously way further ahead than nebraska but i'm gonna i'm gonna take nebraska with seven points here i mean that that to me is a bet i like on the road i like it too coming out party you know i think the headlines will be whether they win or lose if they keep it close yeah i think that'll be fun for them yeah all right the game that it's not that good on paper but because of one Deion sanders everyone will be paying attention Colorado at number 17 TCU TCU's favored by 20 and a half. So I think TCU's ripe for a tremendous fallback to earth season. Mm-hmm. Colorado is a ridiculous roster rebuild, but man, I think the swag and juice that Colorado is going to bring a TCU in this game might be enough to get within 20 and a half points. So I'll take Colorado. I'll take TCU. That's the smart pick. Yeah. I, you're, that number's high. If that it was any lot. higher, I think it's I'd take lot. Colorado. It's a lot. TCU turning over a lot. Yeah. All right. Let's see if you're a believer in Washington. Boise State at number 10, Washington, who's favored by 14 and a half. Also definitely shorting Washington on the season. I don't think they can repeat what they did last year. Boise State, I don't know. It's hard to win at Washington. Um, so give me Boise State. The, Boise State is my nemesis in so many ways in college football betting and elsewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to do it, but I'll do it. I'll join you there. I I like Washington, but I don't like them as a juggernaut or a potential playoff team. So I think that just shows up for me in this, this line. All right, West Virginia at number seven, Penn State, who's also favored by 20 and a half. I don't like Penn State. That's the weird thing about this. I don't like them. I don't love their team. <coughs> I just think they're benefiting from soft stuff. Also, continue to pray for Allen and his cough. Perhaps by the end of the season, it'll go away. But uh, I don't know, Allen. What do you think? West Virginia gets inside 20 and a half. I mean, Penn State. I can't trust you, James Franklin. I just can't. I'm going to pick you. Do not burn me. I'll take Penn State. Right. I'm going to take Penn State here. This is more of a pick against West Virginia. I think Neil Brown's going to, their coach is going to be fired sometime mid I agree. They're not in good shape. So I, I think this just starts that ball yep. rolling. All right. This game is on Monday, I believe. Number nine, Clemson, favored by 13 at Duke. Yeah, the ACC loves to play these Labor Day specials. Uh, I'm going to take Clemson here. Again, I think this is the beginning of their climb back to top level relevancy. If they're going to. Make the playoff they need to win by 13 here. Agreed. All right. Number 21, North Carolina, favored by two and a half at South Carolina. This is a fun one. All right. So North Carolina does not have the same talent South Carolina does, period. So if South Carolina thinks they want to be what they have to be and they're getting points and they're at home, 
they better do something. So I'm going to take South Carolina. Oh, yeah. Easy one. I could be wrong about this, and North Carolina could win. They have This is more of, I think, the public line of Drake May. It is. Top pick. And I believe contender. that. And I, all those things, I think, are legit. I think Drake May's phenomenal from what he's doing. But again, at some point, football is a team sport. And all those things going for South Carolina, if you fancy yourself as a nice team, you have. I think you have to either lose that one really close or obviously win. Right. All right. The most high-profile game of the weekend, of course. Number five, LSU, favored by two and a half, versus number eight, FSU. This is in Orlando, I believe. I think LSU is going to blow the doors off Florida State. And I'm not I'm, – look, there's years when I'm – I hate Florida State, but there's years when I'll be like, I like this team. I don't like this team. I think this team is like a a seven, like we said, seven and a half win team in the SEC, and LSU is a nine and a half, ten win team. I just don't think this is a good matchup for them. Right. I also think Brian Kelly is really good, and it's year two of a program with tons of talent. And he's got a great quarterback who's much better than Florida State's quarterback, in my opinion, um, who I think Travis is just riding high, running around like a Sandlot idiot back there. Idiot's not the right word, but he's just running around back there. Has he changed that? I don't think so. I'm taking LSU here by more than two and a half. <laughs> yeah, I'll join you there. I don't. I think both these teams are a little overinflated, but I think FSU is more so. They stole this game last year. They played terribly and somehow won. And I think LSU is going to want it back. Yeah, I think so. And again, this that LSU team improved every single week last year. Whereas I think Florida State, although they got wins, they, <laughs> I don't know. They're a weird team. You've watched them. You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. It is time now for the return of Daytona Steve. All right. Rough sledding last year. We talked about it. We hinted at it. He's fired up. This year, we're going to do something pretty fun. We're actually going to track his results. He's going to start with a fake $300. And we're going to see what his year-end funds wind up being. So now so we if he's out of money at week three or We whatever. can maybe choose to reload him or not. But he's got to manage his bankroll. So for right now, either how quickly does Daytona Steve lose $300 or can his goal is to turn that 300 bucks into 1000 bucks by the end of the season, which is a, a, a achievable goal for sure. Uh, either way, week one bets. Here we go. Get ready for it. Daytona Steve at the Greyhound track. Sunglasses on, cell phone in hand, <laughs> studying lines. Studying lines. Florida over 0.5 points in the first quarter. How is that even a real bet? Will Florida score a single point in the first quarter is a bet right now. Does that surprise you? Uh-uh. No. It's not like Utah's defense is great. A single point? One point? Yep. All right. I like this bet, Daytona Steve. Nice find. So he's got 10 bucks there at minus 165. Um, Fresno State to win versus Purdue. Okay. All right. We didn't pick that one in the slate. $10 at plus 150. So Fresno State there, an underdog. Utah State at Iowa under 43 and a half. It's 10 bucks at minus 110. So almost even money there. And I like that. Immediately go under with an Iowa game, by there the way. <laughs> South Carolina. Okay. Okay. We see you. We see you, Daytona Steve. South Carolina to win outright over UNC. $10 at 115. And again, you can see their tiny plus bet there. So very split with uh, the betting community. And LSU to win over Florida State, another one that we love, $10 at minus 140. Uh, so there you go. There I love it. it. This is a new system for I like this. We'll, pub- we'll publish this in the show notes and on our social media. So you can look at it if you want to copy it and put your real bankroll to work with Daytona Steve's Or fade his pick and do the opposite. Also, you could fade him and probably make a lot of money. We're going to find out. All right, other items here at the end. Let's talk about Swamp Kings for a second, Alan. Yeah. How did you like the... It's not a documentary, but no. how did you like the show? I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed reliving all of those moments for the most part. Really fun hearing from some of those guys and thinking through the 06 team and all the 
kind of drama of each game where it was so close. I mean, I can see why non-Florida fans were kind of pissed off about it that you know, this is not a real hard-hitting documentary. This is just basically, hey, let's talk about Florida's glory years and how fun they were. Yeah, which was fun. And I, I enjoyed it uh, for what it was, for sure. I do think a lot of a lot of the storylines that national people talk about are sensationalized on that team. Yes, a lot of players were arrested. The majority of those arrests were arrests that were real. But, you know, I think this idea that we were going to, like, profile a gang is yeah. not accurate. No, that was the deal. Now, bad things happen. I'm not making light of anything that happened discipline wise, but the national narrative is there wouldn't have been what they wanted to have been there. However, I think there would have been some very real team dynamic stuff on the inside that was not shared stories that I know stories that others know that are compelling and interesting and are real between every football team to different degrees and highlighted the culture Urban Meyer built and what that did to offenses, offensive versus defensive relationships, player versus player relationships, and a bunch of other things. And they really could have leaned into that, I think, to, to, to see how that worked and how the team still won in spite of it, which to me, Alan, is the more interesting narrative, is that this wasn't a unified team per se, offensively and defensively at times, but they came together to win when it mattered. And I think that would have been a very interesting storyline. How did this team still win despite off field challenges, personal issues between players and other things? How did you get it done? Uh, and they left, they left kind of all of that out. Right. Well, it's also interesting too. They leaned into the narrative so much. They were kind of missing the obvious reasons why the 07 and 09 teams struggled a little bit on 07 on defense. We lost the majority of our play starters and leaders and they talked about the immaturity of the team. Well, that, I'm sure that was true because they were young. They were talented, but young. And again, in an SEC where that's just going to show up, I mean, they had just come off a championship that it was a little unrealistic to expect them to come back and win it again, considering how much turnover of like really high caliber players they had. And then in 09, Dan Mullen leaves to become the head coach at Mississippi State, and we replace him with Steve Adazio, an O-line coach. So it was mismanagement of the highest kind. I mean, if if Dan Mullen is there, then maybe you still lose to Alabama potentially, but that season is not as much of a grind because you're putting up 35 points, 40 points a game still with the players that we had and the talent that we had. And it's not as much of a tense thing where every week you're grinding it out, despite the fact that you have Tim Tebow and an offensive line with NFL players and Lewis Murphy and all these guys who are really talented. There's no Percy, but that shouldn't have mattered to that degree. And yeah, the hubris to promote your offensive line coach into the OC showed up all year. Yeah. And I was just sad that you missed a lot of other UF players discussing what they felt like happened. I was really sad that you didn't have any opposition comments, right? Real documentaries are also also fascinating and great because you have people that played against these guys or they, or they went against them or these games. We talked about the Alabama game, the Auburn games, et cetera. You have other players talking about those moments, not having a single other player talk about what it's like to try to tackle Tim Tebow on a show. I mean, just that was a big miss, I think, just even in like what you want to see. But ultimately, uh, it did serve as a fun time capsule. And I personally enjoyed it because I I had the good fortune of playing on a football field with a lot of those guys. Most of the guys featured Major Wright, Ahmad Black, Brandon James, Chris Rainey, all those guys. We played football together after their college careers, obviously. Um, and they're great guys. They're really fun to hang out with and talk to very personable. Uh, so, you know, it was fun to kind of see them get to relive some of those moments, um, on camera 
and obviously they gave a lot of Gator fans great moments too. So certainly enjoyed it, but I think I think I would have liked to have seen more of like we talked about more of the the football background from other uh-huh. people, other angles. I didn't want to see a drama, no, trumped up gossip piece, but there's some great stuff I think that would have been very interesting <laughs> to all fans. Um, but either right. way, well, I also love that the it. current team is watching it. And drawing inspiration, at least that's the best thing. It's yeah. for recruiting. It's making Florida feel relevant. It's that's part of the momentum we talked about earlier. I mean, it is it is a piece that it's like, man, okay, great. You know, if, if you were five years old when that was happening, and now you're a player, like, oh man, there's a legacy here. There's some there's some guys that were doing stuff. This was like the team. Uh, then certainly that's you know, that's very helpful for it, sure. It colors in that a little bit of the kind of characterization and puts it makes it more personal. Those trophies that are in that trophy case by putting some of the faces and some of the experiences, those guys, I'm sure it was inspirational for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it, it is. And also, you know, you really could have done a combined documentary with the basketball team, which right. would be incredible. I mean, that was a, a run and the basketball team alone probably needs one of the characters they have, they have on so. that team. And that's different cultures, right? The basketball team loved each other for the most part. And the football team, they had pockets of guys who loved each other, but they coexisted to win, uh, which is kind of a hallmark of an urban team. He's not going to get the whole team to love each other. He doesn't even try but he gets guys who are super competitive and you saw that on the docks. Right? Yeah. That's what he goes for. And that, you know, that obviously did work uh, to a certain degree. All right. Lastly, I kind of funnily, uh, funnily enough mentioned. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Mentioned last week that Trask is going to be the starter. Just where they should be. And literally an hour after the podcast came out, time Baker. to bake, time to bake was posted by Buccaneers Twitter, which got a ton of hysterical reactions from the community at large as it should and it raises this question now. What do you think of the decision in general? You're the GM. You're the front office for the Bucks. You've got your second-round draft pick on there. You pick up Baker Mayfield, and you choose to start Baker. Give me what you would – maybe what goes into that decision. Yeah, it just feels like a little bit of organizational misunderstanding of who you are and what you're trying to do. You're not going to win a championship this year. So why are you not giving Trask a chance to play? You invested a lot of capital. And, again, at some point, it's fine to cut bait if the guy can't do it or you just want to recoup some value from him or whatever, it's not the worst thing to not go forward with him, but they haven't really seen him on the field yet. And you you know what Baker's going to give you. He's going to be fine at times and terrible at times, but he's not. you're not going to win a championship with him. And so why not see what you have with Kyle Trask? That, that feels disappointing. It, it just feels so stupid to me because, one, there's no excitement with something you already know. Right. So if I'm a player, by all accounts, it seems like preseason two, there was very little difference between Trask and Baker from what anyone could see in in game results. And the competition took a long time. So it was also very close. So it'd be one thing if Baker was just torching him. All right, great, whatever. But you get a close quarterback battle, then you got to tell your team we're going to play Baker, who's a guy who has had so many chances. It has not worked anywhere at any point in time. We know exactly what he is. What makes you think he's different than what you already know? And then you have Trask, which I mentioned last time, is a guy who every time the lights are on and he got his chance, he was unbelievable. He vastly exceeded whatever expectations any coach or any person ever had for him. So you stand at the precipice of replacing Tom Brady and you say, let's not give this guy a chance to play himself out of that position. And instead, you set up for what is very likely to be a middling up and down Baker Mayfield season, and by week seven or eight, you throw Trask in there with a team that was not his because for the first seven or eight, it's bouncing around. Then he comes in when he's probably got to try to 
be a hero and do whatever. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And then next year you restart the clock and you either try him or you move him. But to me, I want to know if my guy's a guy and I want to know when it's fresh and it's O and O, can he lead my team? What does it look like? And do I want to invest in this guy in the future? So I just think it's foolish managing your resources from that angle. The wise thing to do. Yeah. The wise thing to do is find out what you have. He's a contractual player. See what the resource looks like and decide whether you want to invest more, which means you give him a clean slate. Tell Baker, look, we brought you in to, to compete. You competed. Perhaps you were 3% better. It doesn't matter. This this guy's our guy for the future. And if he's not, then you're going to pick up the pieces and keep us competitive. Whatever. But yeah, I thought that was very short-sighted, foolish. I'm not a Bucks fan, but I'd be frustrated. Not just because I'm a Trask fan, just because again, what are, we, what are we doing here? Like, what's the decision there? It doesn't make really a lot of sense to me. So something to follow there. All right, with that. We come to a close, Alan, right here of our glorious, just super fun for us at least, hopefully fun for you, season analysis, preview, opener, all the good words of Utah. I couldn't be more hyped for Thursday. I mean, I'm just, like I said, 10 out of 10 except for the football season. I can't wait to open this box and see what it gives us, especially on defense. What do you got here to close? I'm so pumped to watch this game and see what, like all the conjecture, what do we think the defense is going to be like? What do we think Graham Mertz? We can stop talking about that. We can say, here's what at least our first impression of this is. And that's going to be really fun to talk about. Hopefully that's coming alongside the Gator victory as well. Either way, we'll be right back here with you guys next Monday. See you then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.